Well, welcome to the official Elastic FM podcast relating to Chesterfield Football Club. Our guests on this episode are lifelong Spyrite, Chris Hyman, qualified coach and scout, and of course, devout Chesterfield fan John Stevenson, and the voice behind the Spyrite's live commentary from Elastic FM, the popular Mr. Alan Wilkinson. Well, in our last podcast, which you can listen to wherever you take in your podcasts on, that's the likes of Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, or Apple, our focus was all on who the manager might be, or who the new manager might be. The team pick up on that story at the beginning of this podcast, as well as going on to examine the new players, the tactics, which Chesterfield players we might expect to be surplus to requirement of the new manager, James Rowe. And just reflections on our last podcast, which if people want to go back and listen, you can just go back and uh, on, on whatever podcast engine you're listening on to this, go back and listen to episode, episode one, because at the time we were talking about the type of manager um, that we needed, that we were talking about the various different candidates. There were some kind of left side suggestions. One of them, interestingly, was Curtis Woodhouse. I think the view, our view at that time was that we couldn't see Chesterfield FC taking a risk on a younger manager at a lower level. But interestingly, that's exactly what they did. So we got uh, James Rowe. He's made a brilliant start. I don't think really he could made, have made a much better start, really. So I'm going to go around uh, the Robin, round Robin approach that we take to this podcast by, by getting everybody's opinion on what we think to James Rowe, starting with uh, Chris Hyman. Um, I did a bit of research on James, as I suppose we all have done. And uh, what impression I've got straight away, James, is um, he knows what he wants. He knows how he wants his team to play. He's obviously studied very, very well. I mean, he's, he's uh, obviously, I think you'll have all read that he's been to Johan Cruyff school. Um, you know, and so he's looked at that type of football and how they play. I know that's a lot higher level, but still, it's it's all it all works the same in every division. So obviously he's coming, and I think some of the things I touched on before about fitness. I think players are mainly fit, but it seems to have got them even well. They're running a little bit more. Um, so I just think he's a he's a good man manager. His interviews are absolutely amazing. He's obviously done his own work on players, even the players that he's uh, that he's took over, and he's brought some good players in that he knows. And again, he'll have researched them. Um, so. He just looks like a man who knows what he wants and he seems to have done what other managers haven't done up to now and got to grip with players and got them to know what he wants them to do. He's made them understand and he's made players, and I think you guys have seen a lot more games than me, you know, this last year or so. But I think one name that sticks out is that Aidan Ollis. A lot were giving him a lot of sticks saying he weren't very well and now everybody's saying man at match performance, man at match performance is a leader. So that just shows just on that how James Rowe must be a good man-to-man manager. He's gone in that changing room He's got players pressing from front, trying hard, uh, doing everything that we said. I press, which is going to create chances, cause mistakes in other team. So I think, you know, he looks the real deal. And obviously he's gone and got his sports master's degree, UEFA, A licence, um, studied it you know, from Knox University, I think it were. He's obviously played at a level where he scored goals a bit, a little bit lower than this level, but scored goals. So he knows a little bit about the strike inside a game. Um, I think Luton and Charlton released him, so I don't know. I don't really know why that were, but he's, he's been around that game, so he knows what he knows what it's all about. So yeah, it looks it looks amazing at the minute. I know we're four games in, but half a one. Wait, just listening to him speak, and obviously the great start he's had. 
uh, I haven't put my bet on yet, but I said to everybody, I'm going to put a bet on us making playoffs. And if they carry on the way I think they might, I think they could get to the playoffs. Well, thanks for that, Chris. After five years of negativity and only short-lived purple patches of, of the team doing well, there was a little spell under Jack Lester, there was a little spell under Martin Allen, but generally it's been a downward spiral. So for there to be such positivity and, and such positive signs in in the tactics that we're seeing is positive. I'm going to come to, to John Stevenson next. And um, what what the context I'd like you to think about answering this question, if I can ask you, John, is you were head and shoulders above all of us in terms of suggesting that we should go for a much younger manager, probably not pro- not proven at, at nationwide or league level. You suggested Curtis Woodhouse. Well, we've got someone, it's not a million miles removed from what you were suggesting. What are your early thoughts, John? Well, I'm incredibly impressed, David. I think that um, could we have hoped for a better start? Not really. Um, young man, and with a, with, a, with a chap of his age, he's obviously very ambitious. Um, I've looked back at his, you know, similar sort of thing to what uh, Chris was referring to. Look back at his playing career. Unfortunately, had to be had to stop playing at 27 due to injury. Went to Birmingham City for three years, where he headed up the education for co- you know for the coaches at under 16, under 17 level, and actually went from there as a coach and advisor to the Premier League. So he was clearly very good at developing players and getting the best from players at a young age. Um, went on from there to um, academies like West Ham, and then again, as Chris alluded to, went to Holland and did the seven month. Um, they call it a mastering coaching, which is a a, a Johan Cruyff um, coaching plan where you do three weeks in in Amsterdam and about 140 hours um, distance learning, and then about 10 hours with a personal coach to show that you can um, play out everything that you've learned. So he's been he's worked very hard at getting his qualifications and getting his understanding of the game, and, and more importantly the psychology side of the game. I think that is proving to be very strong with him. As you say, he's very good with the press, uh, very upbeat, very clear and very precise. So I'm absolutely delighted he's here. I think that he's keen to do the best he can in the game. I think we need to support him and get behind him until such time as something bigger comes along in maybe two or three years' time. Um, because the way he's going, I think I think he's probably destined for the very top. Certainly for one so young, because what is he, 37, 37, 38? Yeah, 37, 38, yeah. For one so young, in front of the camera, you know, he just is, he's just really, Good. really solid, isn't he, in the way he answers a question. Yeah. Um, almost Jurgen Klopp-like in the way he also ev- evades certain questions and doesn't want to answer certain things. Um I wouldn't want to be an interviewer asking him daft questions because I think he'll probably get impatient with the, you know, with poorly phrased questions. I'm going to come to you now, Alan, because you've obviously not, you've met him, you've interviewed him, you've obviously commentated live on the games, you've seen in the flesh, as it were, um, how the team's performing and the difference in physical bodily mentality from the players, etc. What are your early observations, Alan, from what you've seen? Well, I'm glad you come to me after you mentioned an interview with him. Yeah, he's, he comes across to me as... Uh, it, it certainly goes his cards close to his chest. When I said to him Saturday after the game, uh, we're all upset here because it's Saturday game day, you haven't signed anybody. His immediate reply was, hang on, this time yet? Obviously, that would be the fun with him. 
very motivated. I think his, his man management will come to bear. It's coming to bear now, giving him a year's time. I mean, who would have thought seriously to made the centre half out of Aidan Hollis? I mean, the, the improvement in Aidan in three games is absolutely unbelievable. Even Will Evans, you know, the first two games he played, he got stupidly booked at Sutton. But to commentate on something that's like this at the moment is an absolute joy after a couple of years of being negative or trying to dress something up that we can't, you know, we, we, we can't look positive. He came to the interview on the interview day, and I noticed the fact with a dossier of an hour and 20 minutes on Weymouth and told them how he planned on beating them. He impressed uh, Kevin Davis, as he told me, Mark Goodwin, whoever else on the panel, and he immediately went and said, he's the man for the job. I think he's a brave appointment, a 37-year-old. I think, Remember, eight years ago, everybody was saying, Paul who? Paul Cook, where we got him from? And I think this could possibly end up, if he's back, we could end up in the position where we're Paul Cook. He's motivated, he knows what he wants. If you don't fall into his line of planning, you don't play so simple as that. And the interesting thing to me that, again, uh, a few, he's used Joe Rowley sparingly, but uh, like Jonathan Smith has, has not seen a lot of action. Um, Tyler Denton, he said he's a member, you know, valuable member. But interestingly, he let Kiwami go. He didn't mess about, he let him go. And I suspect in New Year, one or two more be told if they can find clubs, then they're free to go. But for me, the, the biggest plus, I, might, I think people might agree, is Jack McCourt. What a different player since you brought him back. Um, yeah, we'll we'll come on we'll come on to that, Alan. We'll, we, we've got yeah. a full component of the podcast where we talk about you know our observations on the players that he's brought in and what they the attributes that they bring that were missing. If I may, you know, you've all touched on Hayden Hollis there, and I was one of those people. I'm always very respectful in my feedback about any human being in whatever profession, but I'll be honest and say to you that I'd reached the conclusion that Aiden Hollis just wasn't good enough to be a professional footballer at this level based on and that's based on seeing him a fair few times but seeing him in in struggling teams primarily he did have a little purple patch of form um in Sheridan's first season with us when Sheridan rescued us he, he actually played all right um but he didn't strike me as the sort of player that was going to make the grade he didn't seem like he was quick enough um he seemed a little bit um error prone gave the ball away a lot and I just couldn't see him stepping up. But the player I'm describing now to the player I'm actually seeing now, because I'm watching all the games on stream, it's just night and day. He's commanding. He's winning everything in the air. He's, he's, he's being a leader. He's organising the players around him most definitely better than Will Evans did as captain. And more to the point, he's notched a couple of goals as well. So... It's difficult to make an argument against him. Starting with you, starting with you, John John Stevenson. What what is it about what James has done with um, Aiden that's made the difference? Do you think? Obviously, why? I mean, he wouldn't have him anywhere near the team, uh, John Pemberton, would he? So, um, what we're not aware of, or what I'm not aware of, is what conversations went on between the previous manager and the player. Yeah. Um, so. As you know, with managers, they don't fancy a player. Then, then those players often move on, and probably Hayden would have moved on and and done okay or done poorly somewhere else. But I think James Rose come in, took training, looked at the players individually, looked at their mentality, and I think it's as simple as he just put his arm around a few and encouraged them, mm. and 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 looked for what they really needed mentally to help them 
sort of get over that form barrier. And I think Aiden's in that in that character, you know, is that sort of character. I have met him, and I think he probably just took him aside and said, you know, you're part of my plans. Um, come back out here, do your best. Let's see what you've got. And I think that it's not it's nothing more complicated than that. I think he just found something in him. The um, same could be said about Will Evans. There's one or two players actually who we were very downbeat on that now look significantly better since the managers come in. So they're the same people. It's just a different change in mentality. Alan, you've obviously seen Hayden Hollis play in the flesh probably more than any of us in the past and obviously present. What are your thoughts on uh, on his his transformation? You, you're hearing John what John's saying. It's it's all about mentality. It's it's potentially what um, what James is saying to him. But how much of it is the fact that he's where he's playing him in the centre of of the defence as opposed to more over to one side? What are your thoughts yeah. on that? I think that's helped. I mean, if you remember the first year, Will Evans was here. He played in the right side. Of defence, Will Evans was a, a decent player, good, very good player. Aiden Hollis <laughs> played in the middle, and at that point we had young Jay Sheridan. Okay, that didn't work. But this, when we went, we were back through. If Evans on the right, Hollis in the middle, and he's gone back to that. And I said before he came in, if he went back to what Evans right, Hollis centre, and a decent left back would be okay. I think the, the transformation Aiden Hollis in four games is absolutely unbelievable. He's, he's obviously sat and talked to him and told him he wants to, you know, he wants to be part of his team. And Saturday, I'd have made all this gap and he said a Western. But Curtis Weston deserved it. But I think Aidan Hollis, just edged, for me, would have edged captain's job for me. OK. And, and finally, last but not by no means least, uh, Chris, <clears throat> Hayden Hollis. I know you've been to games. We've been to get the same games in the past. You've seen him play. Um, you know, I know you've been primarily listening to commentary, haven't you? Yeah. What, what were your thoughts on, on the player that you saw in Hollis versus what we're seeing from him now? I just want to say I noticed you always come to Everton fan last and keep mentioning Liverpool. So uh, can we I've only mentioned out? Liverpool once, mate. <laughs> yeah, but it's early, it's early days, isn't it? It's early days. But you've got to, you know, yeah. they are class. You've got to give them that, Chris. Yes, they are, mate. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just want to mention super fans, Zoe Edge, because I said I'd give a mention tonight. I know you all know her. But I was chatting to Mick Edge today. I did him a little job. and Because uh, obviously they've watched all games and I was talking about Aidan Ollis and a few other players. Uh, so I've given them a mention now, and to Billis, Mick and Zoe, the Silver fans. But um, I think just whether it's Aidan Ollis or anybody, to be honest, I've watched him and I was like you, Dave. I didn't think he was good enough. He made mistakes. But I think like a few other players, James Rose come in and he's the players he's brought in and the, the way he's, he wants them to play, he's got it across to them. And I think it's made them more comfortable and given them a bit of confidence. So when you've got confidence... Instead of just making that mistake where you've been playing in a struggling team, one mistake's costing you, people are on your back. I know it's not the fans at the minute, but you know what it's like. And when you're struggling, it's it's just tough. You know, even good players start making mistakes. So I just think that James Rowe's got a system that's suiting them all. He's gotten to understand what he wants them to do. And, I, and he started with a clean slate. And I just think that we're seeing a different team because the mentality and way he's getting into play. Whereas before, when, when you're going out on that pitch losing or thinking every time who's going to make mistakes, uh, you know, and, and you're not wanting to make mistakes, I just think pressure on them, it's, you know, I know they're professional footballers and it's what they do, but we all know confidence is massive. Mm. And if and I think like you've all said, if you've got a manager who can man-manage, which this guy looks like he can, because the way he talks when Alan interviewed him, 
I mean, like you said, the guy just oozes class for, for where he's been and what he's done. I think we're lucky to get him because I'm surprised that when you look at him and where he talks, that somebody even higher up hasn't gone for him already. You know, maybe a League One, League Two. I think he's that good. And I think he's just gone in there and transformed players. I think he's given confidence. He's done what you said. He's put his arm around a few players and they're playing for him. You know, they start playing for him. Whether that, you know, I know it's early days, but I think we're all very excited and optimistic. And fans, you know, it's great for fans and all of us just to see that we've got that bitter out. I mean, we're all looking now and I think we'd all agree, wouldn't we? We'd say, we might not win league, we might not get promoted this season, but does anyone you think we're going to be fighting relegation? Because I don't. No. Got to ask you guys. So as as we round off that session, so we've you know we're all very impressed by James Rowe. I think we're all based basing that on substance rather than just um, we're being subjective as opposed. Sorry, we're being objective as opposed to subjective. So mm-hmm. we're looking at him and we're looking at what he's saying and doing, and we're rating him based on that. But can I just ask, is there a danger that we're getting too excited just after four games, John Stevenson? <laughs> That is difficult. Um, I think with the players he's brought in um, and the change in playing style, listen, we won't win every game, David, will we? We'll have some bad performances. Every single team, including Liverpool, um, has some bad Rarely, Rarely, to be fair, John. Rarely. I mean, Fulham, Everton, Everton tend to have a few bad games, don't they? John, they should have lost at Fulham. They should have lost at Fulham, mate. That one have, no, well, I've not got that out yet, Chris. I'd said that, that Fulham <laughs> changed the way they played against Liverpool. They did, yeah. Um, but every team, what I'm saying, every team has a, has a bad performance. And we will lose and we will draw games and be disappointed. But I think generally, over the season, what he's trying to achieve, I mean, he doesn't want to be a failure, does he? No. And, and let's face it, he's... He's lucky in some respects as he's coming into a big club in the National League with the best facilities or as best facilities as possible in this league. And in the summer, he's got a blank sheet of paper apart from the players he signed. He can decide who to keep, decide who to release. And, you know, he's got some expensive players on the books. And if he can bring in the type of player that we've got that he's signed since, like Asante and, and Whelan, then we are going to have a very, very strong team. So I don't think we're overcooking it. I think we can do really, really well. What's lovely to hear from, from John, because I know you've been always respectful, but one of the biggest critics of, of the management and the, the regime, you know, over the course of the last five years. So it's yes. great to, to see that James Rose transformed one of the biggest critics, always a respectful critic, but on yes. the plain side, one of the biggest critics, so, and I say that based on your contributions to the fans group, and you're always respectful, but you, you, you've left people knowing in no uncertain terms that you've not rated a lot of the previous manager, their recruitment, their tactics. So it's great to hear. Now, that moves us on to the next part, and that's player recruitment. I'm going to kick this off by saying, and this is this is a level of, level of honesty from me, that when when I saw him, the players he was signing to begin with, I did what everybody else does. I go on, research them, read about their previous clubs and so on. But the thing that I suppose concerned me, if that's the right word, or made me anxious was the fact that we were signing players from a league below. So Taylor, um, Carlene, and uh, obviously Asante, all all playing at the league below this one. You could argue Jack McCourt was, you know, a league a, a league player, couldn't you? Yes. 
Um, uh, and Whelan obviously playing at this level. So my my first observations were, you know, I think some of us were all thinking, oh, you know, we need the right type of experience player to come in. And whilst he has brought players in that have got experience, Asante, for example, being 28, he's probably, in my opinion, not brought in the players that I would have thought. I'd have thought he'd have gone for players all at this level or been released from a level above. But to his credit, and it is very early days, what we're seeing from the players that he's brought in is more than refreshing. So what I'd like to do now is to just get everybody's everybody's view on the players that he's brought in. I'm going to start this one with, with Alan, Alan Wilkinson. So your thoughts, Alan, on, on the, pla- the the five players he's brought in? Yeah, uh, Tom Wheeler looks a cracking uh, box-to-box midfielder. Not frightened to, to, to get in from what I've seen. He has a bit of craft about him. Uh, Carline's only two games in, but uh, settled into settling very well. And again, on, on Saturday, uh, settling very well. is looks a decent player once he's settled in. Joel Taylor, again, early doors for him, but the, 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 the pass and cross for the goal on Saturday, it's on that little bit of class we haven't had for a long time. Uh, same as I say, the, the plus for me has been Jack McCourt come back and looks a totally different player to when we had him last time. I think he ran the show on Saturday. And what impressed me, we were 5-0 up and he ran 70, 75 yards to score in the 94th minute. Now, John and Chris, how many footballers at Chesterfield have we seen that level of commitment over the last five years that want to run 70 yards to score a goal in the 94th minute? Not many. No. Okay. Absolutely. But I think they're all decent signings at the moment, but I think he wants to keep it as a backup. At the moment, I'm happy with what we've got. Can I just add to the Jack McCourt thing? Slight, yeah. um, my slight concern would be he's on a very short-term deal, so there's no bigger motivation than playing for a deal, is there? Not for much longer, John. I'm not, not being entirely cynical, but yeah. I would like him to stay, but I would want to keep his level of performance the same. So they probably yeah. need to tailor something that is motivational, um, because obviously. He's on a month-to-month on a, on a low salary and he wants a contract, doesn't he? Yeah, he did drop that inside. After the game, they would look at it. That's all they'd say. We will look yeah. at it. Yeah. So, you know, so, watch so, the space. You know, if, if anybody's got a reason to play out of his skin, then Jack has us. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll demonstrate to you, because I've done some statistical research, but just a bit of statistical research, uh, and I'll demonstrate to you just how valuable he's been in, in a second when I've got everybody else's feedback. But it's a very good point. You know, I hear he's on a very, very low salary. That's uh, the rumour as it. He's literally playing for, you know, a tiny, tiny amount of money. Um, and to your point, clearly as, a, as an ex-league player, Johnny, he needs to be hungry to win himself yes. um, a contract. So on the your observations, John, obviously we've, you've, we've touched a little bit on McCourt. What, what are your observations on, on the other players? So Whelan, Asante, Carleen and Taylor. Um, not seen enough of Carleen to really comment, David, to be honest with you. I know he was Hensford to um, Solihull and then didn't really break it at Solihull and they put him out to Leamington on loan. And then June 20, um, he was at Gloucester. Um, about six foot, box-to-box midfielder, but funnily enough, it, it, they played him at... Um, right back. Right back, right yeah. wing back, actually, yeah. at Gloucester. So he's got to have some legs. And um, I think you can play all across back, Alan. Sorry for interrupting. 
I think he is a player that can play across all back. He's this season. Yeah, he's, he's very, well, he played at left back yeah. in his. He played at yeah. right back and then left back in his. They switched yeah. him, didn't they? So that is yeah. a a player that can play on either side. Is versatile. But you were yeah, saying, yeah. John, so, what what I are your other? I him in to be versatile. I'm, I'm, I don't know how they. Um, obviously, when he got injured and and then they released him when Rowe left. So um, he's come in, and I think it's again been brought in for his versatility. Uh, McCourt, I'm really delighted to, to hear what I'm hearing and his contribution against Barnet. He was an exceptional. Um, funnily enough, Sol Campbell signed him for Macclesfield Town and he played in every single game. And then he was offered a... Uh, subsequently, Mark Kennedy took over and he was offered a contract by him, but obviously the club liquidated. So he's only really a free agent on the basis of circumstances that he couldn't control. Yeah. So... Um, he can play as a four, um, you know, defensive midfielder or an eight, a roaming midfielder, a bit like Curtis Weston, yeah. box to box. He's only 25. So, you know, if they can keep him performing at that level, um, why wouldn't we extend his contract? I think it, I think it's uh, I think it's a, a, a quite a unique and clever signing by the boss. Yeah. Um, Tom Whelan, really like this guy. He's got a little bit of something extra about him. Yeah. Little, Flair, trickery, very, very good on the ball, creative, um, been suitably impressed, very impressed by him. But <laughs> on to Asante, the nine. Well, what a chap, born in Holland, Ghanaian parents, clubs, Birmingham, Northampton, Shrewsbury, Kidderminster, Holly, Sally Holly. I mean, it's 203 games, 82 goals. That is some return. Good ratio. And if you look at Chester, I know I know Jono at Chester. Jono really rated him. He um, he's thirty three appearances, twenty two goals. Sold to Gloucester, nine appearances, nine, nine appearances, eight goals, and Chesterfield four appearances and four goals. Can't ask for any more than that from a number nine. Absolutely outstanding. Yet he's had quite a, a host of clubs, um, including Tamworth and Grimsby and so on. But he seems to have found his form the last since the 2019 season so it'd be very very uh, um, <laughs> critical anybody can't be critical of any of his signings David I think that I think they've all been really promising really exciting and really positive thanks for that John Chris your thoughts have you come to Everton fan last yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, I thought you were yeah. a Chesterfield fan, mate. I thought Everton was just this kind of thing no, that you I'm kicked around. Ar- I'm a Chesterfield. I, I thought you kicked around with this Everton thing in the background, mate. I'm just a fan, mate. Especially after the first four games. <laughs> <laughs> um, touching on what guys said, um, yeah, I think that sounds banged on. That the the players he's brought in up to now, they all look pretty decent. I still think, like you say, it is early, but a Santi. Obviously, I didn't realise he'd been around as much as what John said. Obviously, I'd, I'd not researched him well enough. But, you know, sometimes a striker does come late a little bit later on, you know, doesn't always do it at 22, 22. 28 is quite a good age, and it's probably his last chance to get a decent contract on and, you know, and uh, earn some money. So, and it looks good. It looks like he's got pace. That desire we said for that third goal for Attrick goal, you know, when he kept it in, and then he kept it in again. He was having them balls and he was going to score. And we hadn't seen that for a while. And it just gives everybody a lift. When you see a foreign chasing fullback down, I'm keeping that ball in it. And somebody just throwing it up, it don't matter, let it go. Have a little job to it. But he didn't, he was having it. And he scored goal. And that, that's all I need to say about him. If he does that, he'll, 
you know, he's, he's going to do well for us. And he's come in at a good time under a good manager who knows him. And then on other signings, I agree with lads. I mean, that I'm not seen enough for that Taylor, but I've heard he's a bit more of a better attacking fullback than he is um, defending fullback. But that depends again on the system you play. Um, same as other guys, I think that Whelan could be, he could be icing on cake for midfield. I think he looks, he looks like he, he, you know, he's good at this level. He probably could play a bit higher. Nick, he, he can nick ball rather than having to go into a tackle. He seems to nick ball and box to box. Looks like he can pick a pass. We needed that. We all talked about somebody that could pick a pass. We've obviously got him. So um, I think, yeah, all signings, they look good. I mean, we've only seen them for a short space of time, but how good do they look on a short space of time? And I'm going back to McCaw. I liked him when he was here before. I thought he looked a bit slow. Again, sometimes when you're struggling a bit in team, it, it depends who you're playing where you can be made to look bad. Uh, he's brought him back, so obviously he likes him. And he, I quite like him as a player. I haven't seen, you know, I haven't seen enough on him to say he's a brilliant player, he's a bad player, but he always looked like a bit of a tough guy that gears all for a team, gets stuck in. So, And that goal, like you said, to, to run, and that's James Rowe mentality. Is like he said, I loved it when he said, and I'm just like that myself, you know, let's get seven, let's get eight, let's score nine, let's score ten. And when managers are like that, instill that into players, it's so important because these are teams that then come back and pinch draws when they should lose or win games when, when you're drawing. And, it, and Man U's had that mentality under Ferguson for years. You've got to have that mentality to keep going and keep going because that can, you can get promoted, as you know, on there. Uh, on goal difference, so keep going, and and I love that. I love that. Yeah. But signings are brilliant, Dave. Brilliant. I Wonderful so. to hear, and some of the superlatives that you guys are using to describe these players. You know, uh, fitness, passion, um, creativity. It's, it's it's fantastic to to hear those words used to describe Chesterfield players because we've only consistently seen that in the last ten years through Sheridan's first spell. You know, first season at the at, at what was then the um, the um, B2 net. <laughs> so had that many different stadium names. Now yeah. I struggle. I still want to call it the Pro Act. It's the Technique Stadium now, isn't it? I think but, some do, Dave. But great to hear. The one thing that I don't want to skirt away from, guys, and I, and I appreciate this is sensitive, but all fans want to know this. All fans ask this. And we're all curious about this. And, and I'm curious. What what type of income do we think that these players are on at, the, at this level? So if someone's playing in the in the National League North, let's say. I was shocked recently when somebody messaged me privately and said there are some players that are on £700 a week at that level. And I was shocked at that because obviously, you know, £700 a week is 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 not far far short of £3,000 a month, is it? For playing football for a part-time club. Mm. John, you probably know more because of your, you know, associations with other, other scouts, etc. You probably know this better than us, but... Yes. You know what? What is someone playing in this league? What is the 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 least that you think they would earn, and what would be a top? What what would a top earner be in in the national league? Um, well, I can tell you just just going back to the north for a moment. Uh, yeah. I won't mention the team because I think it's unfair. But yeah. let's say a team in the top half, they've got at least four players on more than a thousand pound a week in the oh. north. But obviously, with aspirations to go to the national. Um, in the national league, I know of players that are doing quite well on about four hundred pounds a week, and some su southern eastern based clubs, right up to well, <laughs> you know, uh, it, it's, we, it's quite well known that the contracts Martin Allen gave out at Chesterfield 
we've got some players that obviously won't be on it to come June time, but mm. we've got some players on significantly more than that, as you know. Mm. So I would say we've probably got the most expensive players in the National League at the moment, one or two of them anyway. Yeah. Um, that's not their fault, though, is it? If it's offered, you would, you would take it. But I think if you were just going on the basis of um, an average, around about £1,000 a week, David. Okay. It certainly surprises me that uh, players in the league below are earning a thousand. But thinking about players that are in uh, at, the, at this level, nationwide level, that are earning four hundred, it's not a lot of money, is it? That you know, no. it's if if that is their full time income, no part time, part time. Yeah, we've got we've got several part time clubs in our league. Yeah, so some of these guys are teachers and playing football for some of the smaller teams. Bear in mind their gate size is is significantly lower than ours. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But some of, the, some of the lads on that sort of money are... Right, they are. You're right, Alan. <laughs> no, that's my other arse. You're not very well. I'm going to have to leave you. No worries. All right, Alan. Okay. 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 All the best. Um, so some, some, of the, uh, some of the players are, um, are, doing, are basically playing in the National League on a part-time basis and train on a part-time basis which I think you probably noticed when we were playing really poorly and we were full-time, often fans threw that in the hat that we were getting beat by part-time clubs, part-time players that train part-time. Um, in the bad old days, that was before, we've got a lot more to smile about. But there's a very, very broad level of income in, in, uh, in terms of salary by players in the National League. Very, very broad. Mm. Okay, so... It's it's just fascinating, isn't it? That um, mm. the the difference between what players can earn, the, 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 I suppose, the breadth of earning potential. Someone on as little as four hundred, you know, someone probably on as much as I guess at this level. I, you know, I guess there's the odd player on two and a half, three grand a week at the, at this level without naming names, which yeah. is which is an unthinkable income, isn't it? For a, essentially a a non-league and a non outside of the English football league footballer. Um, my thoughts on the players. I, I'm going to base this on the on the taking a detailed look at what happened against Barnet. So first of all, the chances created, chances created, and the players that were involved. And asking you to think about this from the the point of view of had he have not brought these players in, what would the performance against Barnet have been like? So from a chances perspective, um, Taylor crossed the ball for Bowden, who added over should have scored. Um, and then Carleen and McCourt combined to put Asante through and he should have scored. Then McCourt crossed in for Bowden Hedery and he missed and put that one wide. And then McCourt again to Taylor who pulled his shot wide. They're, they're missed chances. So with the exception of, of re referencing Bowden, who you'd expect to be on, on the end of chances, most of it dominated by the new players. Then we look at the goals that we scored and get this. Little wonder people are saying that McCourt should have been man of the match, even though Asante got a hat-trick. So, goal number one, McCourt plays a through ball to Asante, outpaces the defence and, and tucks it away nice, nicely. So, McCourt and Asante involved in that goal. And then for the second goal, McCourt to Taylor, who pulls it back squares for Bowden to make it 2-0. So, McCourt and Taylor, obviously Bowden doing what he should do and, and finishing after having missed two chances before that. For the uh, the cut the goal the Hollis goal from the corner who took the corner surprise surprise McCourt <laughs> and then for four 0 McCourt 
plays the ball to Whelan. Whelan plays a brilliant, you know, diagonal ball to Asante, which he just cuts back on. Um, and a really nice finish in the bottom corner for 4-0. And then for 5-0, you've got Asante, Whelan that combine. And Whelan pings the ball over. Asante runs 50, 60 yards to keep the ball in, as we've famously seen now. Keeps it in down the touchline. It was just in because I've watched it back. And then he keeps it on, keep, sorry, down the, the, the touchline. And then the byline, the, what I call the byline, he um, he keeps it in again and scores. But without that ball from Whelan and his own desire to win it. And then the final goal, Whelan, Weston involved in this one this time, and Mandeville cuts it back to McCourt, who'd run 60 yards to chest it in. So you, you think about those statistics uh, and those facts it was it was primarily dominated by the new players, the new players contributing. And I'm with both of you. Certainly McCourt, I think I'd expect to see a player playing for his financial future, <laughs> playing out of his skin. But I think we've seen enough from him as a mid- midfield player. The one thing that we've, we've definitely been missing is a player that can pick a pass. And he's proven, you know, in the games that he's played that he can definitely pick a pass at this level. So I like the fact we've got that creativity from him. But he's more than just that. If if we if we want him to sit as I call it a quarterback, sitting in front of the back four, he can. But if you want to play him as a number eight, he can. So I, I like him. Um, Asante's goals, you know, to me, I've referred to him as a three-dimensional striker. I think what we've got at Chesterfield at the moment without him, you know, in Tom, we've got someone who's primarily good in the air, both defensively and offensively. He's probably better on the ground with his touch than people give him credit for, but he's certainly not what you class a three-dimensional striker. He's not quick. Uh, He doesn't close defenders down, but he does get on the end of chances and he does score goals. Bowden, um, I've liked what I've seen in terms of his link-up play under Rao, but for me, Bowden's always been more of a finisher than anything else. You know, pretty one-dimensional, a poacher. Someone, if you give the ball in the 18-yard box, he'll get a shot off, he'll get a header in. What I think we've got with Asante is a truly three-dimensional striker. hes um, I wouldn't say he's lightning quick, but he's quick enough at this level and he's going to outpace most most defense, defences. He's capable of pulling off down either flank and actually providing for, for his fellow strike partner. Um, he can make chances on his own, on himself, because let's face it, the his hat-trick goal against Barnet, although it was a good, good searching pass to find him, he had to make that that lung-busting run and keep it in and then have the creativity cut back and poke it through the keeper's legs. So that's he made that goal himself, really. So what he brings to me is that. My my worry is that if he gets injured, you know, I, I, I don't I don't think we've necessarily got the cutting edge uh, that we need with just Bowden and Denton. And obviously, Kawamu would got pace has gone now, and I think that's probably the right decision. I'm, I was reading some things from him online that suggested that his attitude wasn't what we need we need at Chesterfield Football Club um, but I'm I'm really impressed so far, far and uh, he's definitely overcome my my worry about bringing players in from a lower level sorry that Alan's had to leave us um, his, um, his partner coughing heavily in the background sounded like he needed to go and look after us so there's just my, myself John uh, and Chris now we're going to move on to difference in playing styles if I may now um, guys and again uh, as someone that that uh, that scouts John you'll you'll be sort of really 
keen and focused on how a team plays and the differences in how teams plays. How would you describe the difference in what we're seeing from Rao now to compared to what how Pemberton style was? Well, Pemberton was uh, quite direct, wasn't he? Um, played up to Tom. Um, and I would guess that we were, and I, I, I like Tom really. I think there's a place for Tom. He's, he's you know, he, he can be unplayable at times, but we yeah. became very predictable. Um, I had other teams, uh, coaching staff telling me that they knew how we were going to play before they got here. Yeah. So that, that was a little uh, surprising. I think I mentioned it in the last podcast, completely different situation now with uh, James. It, it's like the players have been, taught to be more confident and more comfortable on the ball we look to pass through midfield as opposed to bypass it and we look to get the wing backs into play and get dangerous balls into the box but be a lot more expansive use the full width of the pitch very very similar to the culture under Paul Cook Mm. we were keeping possession of the ball uh, we're rotating the ball, keeping it secure, keeping the possession, moving the ball around into the into into areas, dangerous areas, and and doing it again until such times an opportunity becomes um, visible. So the players have got a lot more confident, a lot more comfortable on the ball, and we've got some pace and some legs in the team, which obviously was also um, sadly missing mm. um, in Whelan. Uh, McCourt and uh, the fullback we got from Ch- uh, Chester, mm. uh, wingback, sorry. Yeah. So it's a completely different approach, really. Um, I think it's all probably down to his coaching methods, mm. what he's getting them to do on the training ground. Mm. They look a lot more competent. He's got mm. the same, we've got the same, a lot of the same players doing things considerably better. Yeah. Uh, he has to take full credit for that. Interestingly, if you look at the course that he does, he did in, in, in Holland, uh, technical development and coaching was, was not really what it was about. It was about taking um, players and looking at yourself, looking at your own weaknesses, looking at the players' weaknesses and what you need to do to make them better. That was part of that course. Mm. Um, so he's obviously mastered something there and he's applied that to not only Gloucester and then Chesterfield, and I think we'll come back to the same story again. Aidan Hollis, most Chessville fans wouldn't have had him in the team. Yeah. He comes on the pitch now and looks like he's a player he could never drop. Looks comfortable on the ball. That's all in his head, isn't it? It's a remarkable transformation, John. For isn't a player it? like Hollis to have gone from probably, if we'd have done a poll in the group and said, which player should we get rid of? He'd have probably topped the charts. Yes. Um, yes. And now it would be the opposite. It would be the one one of the players that you... I mean, you got people putting his name forward. I In the fans group, I said, who should be captain? And you got people putting him forward because it, it was clear to see he's visibly organising the players around him and yeah. leading by example. So it's yeah. brilliant to see because we all like... I love to be wrong about a player. I love a player to, you know, to, for me to have a, a negative opinion about a player's abilities and attitude and for them to turn it around. You know, I've been thrilled. And there's a fair few people have stepped forward and said, you know what, hands up, I was wrong about. Uh, Aiden Hollis and James has got to accept the credit for that hasn't he for for absolutely I, I think that um I think that he's he's his personal skills I mean I don't know James we've never met him but visibly his personal skills from the PR point of view look to be very very well polished yeah 
and that's a big area of the, again of the of the master of coaching course he did it in Holland. Um, that was all about leadership, coaching, team dynamics, um, how to build successful teams from failing teams, uh, coaching in winning, losing, and under pressure environments. That's what that course, part of that course, taught him. And I think he's really took that on board. Bear in mind, he did a degree in sports science as well. So he's an educated chap. And he's taking all those skills and applying them to those individuals, probably behind closed doors or individually. And they're just coming out like new players, David. Yeah. And we just look a lot more focused, a lot more organized, a lot more dynamic. And he has to take full credit for that. Chris, your thoughts? Uh, you obviously, you know, you were a, a regular attender during during the the Paul Cook era. You and I used to go to a lot of the games, and yeah. um, we were all fans of the way that Paul Cook's teams played. And and this is the closest we've seen to that since Cook left, in terms of style. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think, like you said, we we don't need to get carried away because it's four games and Paul Cook obviously had a lot longer and did well with what he did. You know, a bit tired as well, but. What you said earlier, touching on new signings with goals, which were funny, weren't it? That they had a, a part in nearly every yeah, yeah. goal. But that's what James Rowe's done, isn't it? He's come in and he's looked at straight away what we needed and he's brought them players in that we did need. They've made other players step up and obviously they've added to team what we were missing, which is what we all talked about. We didn't book a threat going forward. As John touched on, Tom Denton, I, I agree with you. I, I mean, he's a, he's a player that I'm a bit wrong on, Dave, to be fair because I'd probably give him an hard time thinking he's a bit slow, a bit cumbersome at times, not holding the ball up very well. But having said that, they're, you know, he seems to be holding the ball up a bit better because they're not just playing to his head anymore. And now he's got people around him that if they do put it in air, he's got people running off him. Because when you've got a Santa, you know he's going to be chasing everything you flick on. So he's got, all of a sudden, Tom Denton's got a chance to make himself look better because he's got players around him that are going to put ball into his feet and not just aim at his head. He's got players who are going to run off him. So I think Tom Denton has got a new lease of life. And like you said, in this division, he's brilliant from corners defensively. He's obviously a big unit for if we get crosses in. So we're going to get more crosses in. He's scoring with his feet from crosses as well as head. He looks quite a lot better with his feet than what I probably thought he were, to be fair. Um, so, you know, you look at that Barnet game, like you said, it probably been nil-nil without the new signings. We don't know. That could have lost. You know, we'll know. So, you know, new signings, like you said, it has made a massive difference for result. Going on his style of play, I've always believed that you've got to defend from front and he's got them doing it straight away. And that's massive. Because if you def if 11 are defending instead of six, which we've had in past, because we've been got out too easily, haven't we, as we've all agreed in past. So, and, and like you say, you know, all great teams, Man City, I don't want to say Liverpool, but it's true. <laughs> you know, they, they, all, they all want to, I think me and you have touched on this times many days, and John, you, you will agree with me. As much as you've got good players who are comfortable on ball, all successful teams, Barcelona, Man City, all these, when they've won leagues, European titles, World Cups, whatever, Germany, it's what they do as much off of the ball as what they do on the ball. Very good, because, yeah. you know, no player likes it when somebody's in the face all the time. And he's got them players at the minute in the face. So even people like Bowden, he, he does look better. I know he missed them chances, but he scored in. And, and I love it that he missed them chances because in past, we haven't been seeing him have them chances. And now he's having them again. And I think we need Bowden, Denton and, and Asante to all chip in with goals, you know. So if we do get an injury, if Bowden's confidence is up and Denton's, and we do have an injury, touch what it doesn't happen to Asante, you know, in our look. Um, 
touch that we don't have any injuries, then he's got a chance to rest one at strikers if they need it. You know, because it's season progresses, they've been playing Saturday, Tuesday, Wednesday, or Saturday again. It's tough, you know, to keep going at that level, of picking up no injuries and everything else. And, and, you know, I know they shouldn't get tired, we all say, but you do. It's a physical hard game at that level. So I just think, yeah, it's changed up dynamics, as John said, and he's got a working front front. And, and I've always said it, like I said, if you get 11 players defending front front, you, you'll have a chance of winning more games than you lose. If you've got a bit of quality, which he's obviously added to the team, which we're missing. And you said, McCourt, Whelan can now pick a pass. We haven't seen that for a long time. No. We've got a bit of pace up front. He's not going to get any rest. So nobody's going to get, um, you know, defender's going to get on ball and have an easy ride because you know Asante's going to be after that ball. You know Bolden's going to be chasing that ball. You know they're going to get back to midfield. That wheel looks like he's ready to nick a ball that goes into midfield. Defenders are all of a sudden looking like they're a bit more confident. They want to win that ball a bit earlier. They're not scared to make a challenge. So all them things put together creates a team now that gives you a chance in every match. No matter who you're playing, it gives you a chance in every game. We were very isolated before. I felt for Tom and for any yeah, other yeah. player up front because... Very often, the players, the confidence had drained out of the players. We were punting the long ball to Tom. And even if he won the ball, there was nobody around him. Because we were that deep, worrying about conceding, that he was, he was just so completely isolated. Yeah. Now, everybody is up with him. He's working up, sorry, working up with the forward players. So we just look a more compact unit, back, front to back. So I think that, you know, he's, he just transformed them, really. There's more than one player that can pick, you know, in, in the the kind of the days before row under Pemberton, you'd have Denton up front with one other. Yeah. Rawson, Bowden, et cetera. Um, and you're right, John, it would be, he'd flick it on and they'd either be in that vicinity or not. Now there's three or four options. There's yeah. three or four runners. Um, yeah. And he's, he's not just trying to flick it on now. Often he's knocking it back down to a, an advanced midfield player. It's a big difference. He's holding ball up. He's actually yeah. playing with his feet a little bit more. He's a lot better on ground than probably you think because it, they dare put it into his feet because he's got players running off him. He can get ball to him. So I think it's given him a new lease of life. And, and I'm pleased for him, really, because he's battled on. Yeah, Never mind. Too. He's battled on. He's tried. We know he's not quickest, but he's added a lot to the team. He's scored eight goals. I mean, I didn't think he'd get eight goals that quick. He hasn't. He's, he's, really well. he's done really well. He's done really well. I'm it... pleased that he's got that support. And um, yeah, I think he'll do well. And I think now he's become an essential part of the team, you know. And but what I like about the situation we've got at the minute is me and Mick Edge again. I mentioned super fan again. Is we did have a chat on, you know. I said to him because he watches all games, as you know, and Zoe. I said, "What do you think, then, Mick? You know, four four two in this league, three three four three. What? And you know, because he said he likes to play three at back a lot. And I was asking a little bit about players. Do you think we're suited to this? But what I love about James Rowe is he said straight away. He says, I'm not I'm not a 3-4-3 three, three man. I'm not a 4-3-3. Three, three. I'm not a 4-4-2. Four, four, what I am is I, is I pick my team based on what I've seen for opposition and what we need to win match. And I love that because that means straight away he's just tactically aware of what we need to win that game, what's going to suit us. And now he's, he's sort of got the players that he can just fiddle it a little bit, play three at back, go 4-4-2 four, four, if he needs to away from home. And we've got players now that can suit both systems. We didn't have that before. No, true. My biggest observation, uh, um, and that this is picking up on what you've just said, Chris, but what John said, and that was when we were playing under Pemberton, the opposition came knowing what we were going to get, knowing what, what we were going to challenge them with and confront them with, which was largely stop Tom Denton getting flick on, stop Tom, De Tom Denton in the box, and you stop Chesterfield 
what we've got now is even though I think we're going to see James Rowe's team always play with certain characteristics, I think he's always almost always going to play with a high press. I think he's almost always going to be encouraging the players to try and turn the ball over. In other words, be be tenacious in trying to win the ball back when you lose it, high up the pitch. I think we're always going to see that. But I think he's going to vary the tactics so the opposition that we're playing won't know for certain quite what we're going to do, quite which players are going to play in what position, whether he's going to play Asante and Bowden or whether he's going to play Asante and Denton. I, I think he's going to always have that element of surprise, which is unique. Because if you're coming to play a club and you 100% are certain how they're going to play, and we all knew how Pemberton was going to set the team up, didn't we? Yes, we we did. all knew what was coming. And it was very easy to combat that, wasn't it? Whereas now you get the feeling that this guy is cute enough to think, right, mm-hmm. you know, they think I'm, they think I'm going to do this, but I, I, not only have I uncovered their weaknesses, but I, I've created something different to what they're expecting from us. That we've got that variety in our play, uh, which, which the players gives you. I'm, I, I'm very impressed by the fact we've now got midfield players that can do more than just stop the opposition. Um, I always liked, always been a big fan of Westerners' combative. Uh, style but I think we were we were lacking players around him that could pick a pass and we've we've got that now so as we think about the players we've got now guys the next you know part of the agenda I guess for this discussion is the players that we're likely to see to go out so we've already seen Rawson's been shipped out on loan to Alfreton I think everybody's sees young Joe, uh, Joe as an option for the Rawson as an option for the future We've seen Butterfield go to Geisley. Apparently had a good performance. Rawson scored on his debut for Alverton. Um, what other out, What other outgoings? Kawamu's obviously just been released because he was on a short-term contract. What other outgoings do you think we're going to see on loan, in your opinion, John Stevenson, or probably gone from, from the club permanently? What do you think? What do you um, expect? He may look to put Joe out somewhere if indeed anybody would consider taking him on loan if he's not in the plans um, hard to get hard to second guess him really maybe Mandeville is he is he in the plans technically very good but not really somebody he's considered a starter I would say yeah he's, he's, he's on the bridge of it um, the guys I would have put are the guys he's, he's immediately got out because I just thought that the, the, this level came too early for Milan Butterfield. He may make a player or he may be at that level. Um, Rawson needs games and I think he's got great ability. Yeah. Um, and I think you're right, his development that's just a development it's move for him. Yeah, and this uh, Charman, yeah, and another, another there's Regan Hutchinson as well, isn't there? Yeah, there's there's another good lad. I quite liked Regan last year. I thought he got lots of energy, yeah. uh, lots of dynamism, but then never seen him play since. So I'm Regan, Sherman, I think I think they need to go somewhere to like a Conference North or South team, and, and they, they need to play games. They all need to play games. It's just no good for them sat in the stand. They're going backwards. No, because so, we've not got a reserve team, have we? So unless yeah. we're playing behind the scenes uh, games against each other all the time, which is no good, really, is it? It's better than nothing. But of course, when you're playing against your own players all the time, it's just not the same, is it? You've got to be playing yeah. uh, at be reserve playing. level or, or, or organised friendlies, which I know that um, John Sheridan did that a lot, didn't he? He, he organised friendlies against local teams. I've not seen any signs of that this season because of, I think COVID's impacted that, hasn't it? Of course, yeah. So you're right. I mean, all these guys need to go out and get games in 
and and for them to be to become better players. Um, of the more experienced players, John, the mm. the Westons, the Smiths, etc. Which ones of those do you think won't be at the club next season? Well, being in the amount of midfielders that he's signed, I would have thought Curtis and Smith would both be leaving the club. Yeah, I would have thought. I, 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 think I mean, obviously, you've got a you've got a problem with Curtis from a salary point of view. It's just well publicised. I suspect Smith's on quite strong money as well. Uh, they've got the same problem with Will Evans, albeit a centre back. Um, so whether they want to stay or one of them wants to stay on a significantly reduced salary is down to the club and obviously the player. But I just get a feeling with the type of player that James is bringing in, he probably has got his eye on players that will come to replace those players that are not, you know, that are not touching 36, David. Mm. You know, that they are frankly coming towards the end of their career, aren't they, at that level. Would you keep knowing that uh, Weston's probably the fittest player at the club because he makes it his passion? You know, he's a herbal does. life. He's a herbal true. life yeah. guy. But you know, you you see him with his shirt off, full on six pack. You know, you yeah. see him in the gym. You know, he's in the gym outside of of his football commitments. Is he someone that you think if we could, you know, negotiate his salary down to a more acceptable level, that'd be worth keeping for another season? Yeah, I think he could do it. I think he's. Takes a lot of care after himself, as you write, the Herbalife. Really nice guy. Um, again, another player that, you know, six. if you'd asked me this two months ago, I'd said he's got to go. Mm. But now, under James, he's another player that's playing out of his skin. And if he can continue that till the end of the season, how could you really not offer him something? Um, the only thing about fitness, it's not all always about the bodily fitness, is it's whether he's struggling with any injuries, from yeah. playing a significant amount of games over his career because he's been playing a long time. Been playing since he was about 17 professionally, hasn't he? Yeah. So he's had a big career. Um, How old is he now, John? I think he's 35, 36. 35, yeah, I think. Um, but he, he's got he's got great ability, great experience. And you know, if he wants to stay and we get to the you know, we get to the playoffs or something and, and he plays like that for the rest of the season, then I'd be all for them offering something. I suppose it's a very big challenge, isn't it, financially? That's what I would, that's what I consider might be the problem. I suspect he's, I know he's quite high up in the Herbalife business and maybe, maybe that's where he sees his future. I don't know. I don't know him. I would, but... I would, I would guess that most people that do um, multi level marketing, which is, you know, or network marketing, which is what Herbalife is, you know, it's a salary supplement and you can actually make um, a full time yeah. income. And actually, if you're if you're uber successful within a company like Herbal Life, you can you can comfortably earn six figures and beyond. Oh yes, um, yeah, yeah. And, and I know yeah, that yeah. from I know that because I've you know my company's been a a supplier to the multi level marketing industry, so I know some of the leaders within direct selling, not just at Herbal Life, but other companies like Forever Living Products. So you know I know what's possible um, from and as you as do you, Chris, uh, what's possible from from being involved in, in things such as that. But I think what we're saying then there is if we could afford to keep him, we would. And if we do find ourselves pushing for the playoffs or promotion, then, you know, he, he's a player that could definitely cut it at the, uh, at the English football league level. Yes. Um, Chris, I've not, I've not asked you about your thoughts on which of the current players that you think um, we are likely to see leaving the club surplus to requirements, let's say. 
I think on what, what we've looked at, I think it depends what you want. You know, salaries are going to be looked at, obviously, because he'll have his own ideas who he wants to bring in. I think it depends on how well we do till end of the season. And these players we've mentioned, Weston, I think if you're fit and you, you contribute, and it doesn't matter how old you are, because see players going to 37, 38 in them leagues if they, if they fit. So we know he lives, lives right. I, I've never seen it. I've liked Weston as a, as a ball winner and, and a sort of player that gives his all and being fit, but I've not seen enough quality from him for me long-term, but obviously he's 35, 36 anyway, so he's not going to be long-term. I just think it depends who he wants to bring in. I mean, I seem to think that, um, I think we touched on earlier, I wrote a few players down here that we said Smith. I've watched Smith a lot, a few times, and I don't, and he's one of the players I put down and I thought, I thought, what do I think of him? And I don't know what I think. So I don't feel he's, He's contributed enough for me to think, well, he's one we need to keep. So I, I think he'll be gone. I think I think his time's up. And even th- as much as I like Rowley, I do like him. And I touched on this with, again with Superfan earlier is um, because I did talk to Mick, we watch a lot of games, and I said, what do you think with Rowley? Because I like him as a footballer. And I think one thing we agreed on is when you've played in a struggling team for a few years, sometimes y- you need a move. For yourself, you know how certain players, even though you get a good team, a good manager, they still they're that down bit. They sometimes need a move to restart, re-kick the career. And he might be one of them, unfortunately. Even yeah. though I thought he was quite neat on ball, he doesn't look very strong. And I think in this league, you know, he'll he'll be getting players in like that wheel, and we've touched on that we all love because he's obviously got a bit of strength. He's fit, he gets box to box, he can nick a ball. You've got to have a lot of strength in this. You've got to be fit and strong in this league before you can. For skill tech, so it can't just be skillful. You got to earn the right to play in this league, haven't you? Yeah, you have. Uh, this league is the worst league for that. This is this is the league where you have to be fit. You know, you're going to get fouled. You're not going to get free kicks. You're going to get kicked up in air. Refs going to go get on with. Referee standards are awful, aren't they? At this level, it's and and they are. That's one of the things that's bad. So you've got to have somebody who can physically stand up to challenge, and after that, you've got to hope then your little bit of quality that he's added wins you the games and that's that's what they won on you know very often I mean 6-0 we're not going to do that every week we're going to cope against Solihull in a few they've always been a good side and when we play them that'll give me a better idea of where yeah. we're you know once we once we beat somebody like Solihull Moors who's been you know been around blocking this league a few years they've looked been close to playoffs or in playoffs aren't they we'll play a few of these other sides of it next few games we'll, I think we'll all have a better idea of who's, who's staying but it all depends who he needs to bring in Dave and money side of it I think yeah. if he thinks to get them players out like your Smiths and Weston because he can bring better players in younger on less money, I think they'll go. The um, the, it's interesting. It's it's very interesting to see how the season's going to pan out. But for me, the the kind of barometer, let's call it, for whether a manager is going to do well is is more based over twelve games, not four. And we've all seen managers come into a club and and they've started really well, five six games unbeaten, and then they lose the odd game probably unluckily, then they lose the next one. All of a sudden, the confidence starts to drain. And before you know it, you're on a losing run. Even if you're playing well. I mean, we've we've all seen, you know, during Martin Allen's first spell, there was a, a losing streak we went on or a streak we went on where we couldn't win. And we, we weren't actually playing that bad. We weren't playing anything like we're, we're playing under row, to be fair. Not that quality of football. But we weren't, we just weren't able to win. And the players lost the belief that they could win. And we, you know, we went on this terrible terrible trail so I, th- I think the time for us to judge is more after 12 games who do I expect to be here next season I, I think I don't think Smith will be here um, 
when I listened to what you were saying about him, Chris, I I think of Smith as some someone that can be outstanding on his day, that can be combative, that can shoot from distance. He scored some amazing goals from distance for Chesterfield. <clears throat> but unfortunately, he's another one of these players that will play good once every six or seven. Um, he'll get he'll give you an eight out of ten once every six or seven. What you need is a player to give you a seven almost every game. And I'd still thoughts on Rowley. So I think Smith will be gone. You know, I think there's a chance possibly that we'll see Evans gone. I do think we'll see a different goalkeeping structure next season as well to, to what to what we've got now. The one player I would like to see how we fared under under uh, under Rowley is Rowley. I would like to see him in a winning team. You know, with better players around him. Um, whether we'll get to see that or not, I don't know. It, it's interesting, isn't it? Because Rao's saying that he, that Denton, Tyler Denton, is not necessarily surplus, even though he's not featured. But he's quite a nimble player, so he's quite fit, he's quite quick. Um, even though he's been around league clubs, he's actually not played that many games in reality, um, Tyler Denton. I'm going to end then, guys. There's two more things. One is the predictions that we instinctively feel for between now and the end of the season. What do you think is the best that we could hope for in terms of our league finish? John, start with you on that one. Playoffs. Yeah. I'm pretty confident we could get into the top seven or eight. Yeah. I think they might add to the squad again. You know, I think there is there is an opportunity maybe. Um I mean I don't know. I don't know what the financial position is, but it, it may just add to the squad if the if the right player comes available. And I think we're strong enough. I don't think there's anything to be too worried about in this division, David. Mm. I really don't. Um, who's really outstanding that we, we've seen that, you, that really plays off the park? Nobody, really. Isn't. Nobody, <laughs> nobody has come up and you've thought, well, they were just better than us. We were just poor. No, you're absolutely well, I, right. I, I, think that he's, I think he's aiming there. And I think he's got the players aiming there. And I'm, I'm pretty confident. I don't expect it. I'd love to have got to the playoffs. I would think that would be a massive achievement from where we were. But I think next year will be the one when he's got all his own players, all with the right mentality. And I think we'll be unstoppable. But he might just sneak us in and I'd be delighted if he could. Chris, your thoughts? Yeah, I think, like you said, Dave, 12 games into it will give us a better idea and, and see what he's going yeah. to do. We'll stay clear injuries and things like that. But I, I said it straight away. I know we need more games, but on the way they start, 6 nil is a big statement because you, you, you don't see many 6 nils in that league, even though I know Barnett are not very good. You don't see many 6 nils. Momentum's massive. He started off with confidence, so players are on a night. If, as long as, if they can keep that run going, as long as they can keep a run going, put a run together now and say, I don't know, let's say next six, seven, eight matches, they win five, draw two, lose one even. They'll be right among it then, and and, and I think I think they'll I think they will do. I've just got a feeling. It's just he's made me feel that positive that I think we can do playoffs, and momentum's a massive thing. And if we got to playoffs, I know John says next year, and he's probably near it true, but I get a bit excited and think, you know, yeah. let's do the best. And I think you know, I think if we got in playoffs, then we can win him as much as anybody else. And I think he will get him in playoffs. I think he will. So my view, guys, is I would be content. Is the word I'd use? I'd be content with a top 10 finish, I'd be really happy with playoffs. I'd be completely ecstatic if he could take us on a yeah. the winning streak, the likes of which we've only seen from Liverpool. Sorry, Chris. Yeah. Uh, the, <laughs> the, the sort of winning streak where we're winning every game. We're not losing any games. We're winning every game. 
and then who knows, you know, we might end up in an automatic uh, promotion spot. But my my heart tells me that there's a chance we might reach the playoffs under this guy this season. But I would be content with a top 10 finish, with some stability, with some hope for the future, with a coach that's got you know, intelligence around tactics. It's going to be interesting, John, to see how um, the new coach, the new scouting structure uh, pans out now, isn't it? Because, of course, on the last podcast, we talked about the fact that it appeared like Lemon had been brought in without necessarily getting Pemberton's seal of approval. Of yes. course, your Rose come in and inherited Turnbull and, and, and Lemon. I wonder how much of a role they've played in the players that have been brought in. Probably not a lot because Asante came from Gloucester. Yeah. Carlin came from Gloucester. You know, did they have a role in, in the um, in the Taylor recruitment from Chester? Um, you know, Whelan, Whelan from um, from Weymouth, wasn't it? Whelan. So Weymouth, yeah. Did the, yeah, did they have that. any role in that, or was it deemed that he needed to have a big, quick impact to bring in players that he knew himself? And how much is the future scouting and reliance on Lemon and Turnbull going to play in it? What do you, what do you think about that, John? Is is Lee with the club full time? I've only read what you've read. Um, oh. I get the impression that that he's involved um, with the club. Um, yeah. There's been no statement to suggest he's full time. Lemon's full time, isn't he, Paul Lemon? Yes, yeah. I know Paul goes to a lot of games, um, checks in at a lot of football clubs, obviously watching players, creating a be creating a database of players, and he can only recommend them to the manager, and then the manager decides whether they want to sign them in a normal club setup. Yeah. So he'll be doing all the things, all the groundwork with the players. Um, you would suggest James might send him to see a player, yeah, uh, and do a, a do a report on a player, or maybe I don't know if Paul does opposition analysis. I've done some of that, which is a different, slightly different job. You know how the team's going to set up against you, what are their strengths, weaknesses, positional, all that sort of thing. Um, so he may be using him to do that. So Paul's probably busy doing doing two different. Tasks all encompassing in the in the uh, well, uh, scouting role, so it's a good thing to have a chap like that on board with that experience, um, having a look at who's out there because he can flag things to James that he possibly is unable to see because of his day to day commitments with the coaching the first team. Yeah, so it it's going to be well. it's going to be an interesting one this John because it was a fairly high profile announcement, wasn't it, about Paul Lemon coming in and yes. and then Turnbull coming in, and there was a lot of a lot of discussion around why it was important. We'd gone from not really having much of a scouting network because Charlie Williamson didn't really do anything during his time. Um, we all know that Guy Branston didn't really, you know, do much, and the players that he did recommend to be bring to bring in didn't work out. So there's a big announcement about that was a frailty. We only ever really had a solid system when Paul Mitchell was chief scout. When he went, it all went to pot, and there's been a big statement now made about Lemon and Turnbull. You know, it's mm. going to be interesting to see whether they're going to lay some groundwork for player recruitment next season and whether we get, we as fans, get that feedback to say, oh, you know, these were players that have been scouted for us by our our team. Yeah, very good point. Whether he wants to, yeah, whether that's disclosed to the uh, Joe public as such. It always was under, under Cook, wasn't it, and Mitchell. It was always made clear that it was this was a player that Mitchell had found. And um, I think that level of transparency is good. And I think the club does need a scouting network. The manager needs to be able to concentrate 
on the players he's got in his squad and trust his scouting network. So ultimately, we do need it to work for the betterment of the club, don't we? We do, we do. And and I'm I'm sure it will. I mean, Paul's got a very strong background in in scouting and um, it's going to be down to the relationship James and Paul have, hasn't it? Isn't it? Yeah. Um, Cookie and... and, and, um, um, Mitch. Yeah, Mitch had a very good relationship. Yeah. They were very close. So they were a team. If they, and I think that probably, you know, Paul and James are going to have to have that sort of um, similar sort of relationship. It's a bit backwards, really, isn't it? Because generally the manager comes and then the manager sets on a chief scout. Yeah. So it's, it's a bit unusual. But I suppose we were anticipating that John Pemberton was going to stay in the job. Yeah. But obviously he didn't want to stay in the job and he, and he walked away from it. So... Um, I think it makes us all more stronger if we can have transparency and, you know, the disclosed, Paul's found a, a player that we're really delighted with, that he gets the credit for that. I think so too. And I think yeah. for the betterment of the club, I don't think a situation where you've got a manager that is literally completely dependent upon himself to bring players in. Yes. If that manager then goes, and let's let's be honest with ourselves, if if James carries on on his current trend, you know, in 18 months' time, we might struggle to hold on to him. Yes. And if he's created a situation where he's the only one scouting for players and we don't have that prowess at the yeah. club, that leaves us in a weaker position, doesn't it? So, yeah. ideally, yeah. we want a scouting network that's going to service James and whoever is manager after him. Yeah, there's, Paul will use any one of um, a dozen systems like Scout or so on to create an automated database. Very easy. Put the players in. And that just builds up and builds up over time, and you can refer to it when you're looking for specific positional play players. Is that free uh, software out of interest, um, or is it subscription-based software? This Y Scout. Um... Yeah, most of them are. Um, you have to buy them because that's how they obviously they provide, the the designer or of the software makes the money. So various clubs use various systems. They all use different systems. We use a different one at Sheffield United. So they um, and that's you know basically. Um, a quite uh, comprehensive database, yeah. David, yeah. That, you, that does things for you, that makes it takes away it makes the pen, life a little bit easier. Takes away the pen and the paper and the book. The one final point I make, guys, before we go on to the final question and, and finish the podcast with a you know a message to the fans for Christmas and the New Year, is just a touch point on budget. So this is not inside knowledge because I don't have any. Uh, but I pay attention. I've got my ears open when people say things. So there was a, a press conference involving the chairman, uh, Mr. Goodwin, and he talked about our budget being before Rao came in, James, before James came in, at being around the one million mark. Now, given that the players that have been brought in on top of that, we've got to be in the top three in terms of budget in this league currently, unless James can actually permanently offload some players. We've got to be in that top three. So with a budget like that, you know, there's the expectation's got to be there, hasn't it, for us to have a top six finish, ideally with that level of budget. Yeah, I think with James Rowe, when he come out, he'll have known that he's got a good budget. Because like you say, he's a born winner, as we've seen already. So I think with budget, he's, he'll have known we have a good budget to come in and get the players in he wanted, because no manager's no good if he can't get the players in. And touching back on that scouting system, that's been a big problem at Chessville for years and years and years. And, and you're right, what you say, guys, is that the bringing Paul Lemon in, he's been around a long time, I've spoke to Paul a lot, passionate, goes and watches a lot of games, he, he wants to do work, he wants to do well. 
And like John said, if he has a good relationship and Lee Turnbull, I don't know him that well, Lee, to be fair, but if they if they have a good relationship and they can find one or two players, it can make all the difference. So we've got the budget for that league. We know that. We've always been up there with budget. And, you know, you've got to take that off to new board because they bought Kevin Davison and a few people to get the manager. So, yeah. you know, because they're not all just 100% football people, they're business people. So I think that's a brilliant move. They've realised that we haven't had a good scouting system for years, so they've tried to get a couple of scouts in. And I just, I hope they both do well. I really do. I think they're nice guys. I think they're passionate. I think they really want to do well. And if James gets on with him well and they, find, and they find him one or two players he's happy with, then that relationship will get better. And if he leaves, as you said, David, earlier, we've got a scouting system in place that we know that works. I'm going to nail you both down then now, guys, just on season end predictions. I know we've sort of said what we hope for, but this is more of, I suppose, a bet. So I'm going to say, I'll start this by saying, I think we'll make the playoffs. Chris, what do you think? I think we'll make playoffs. John? Playoffs, definitely. So confident prediction from the the podcast panel is that this team are going to make the playoffs. Um, Final thing before we say a Christmas uh, message to the the Sheffield supporters, this fundraiser that we did, um, which was incredibly well supported, uh, I actually made, made a little contribution towards it as well, just based on, you know, wanting some positivity. This fundraiser was, as you know, done, I think it raised about 15 grand in the end to buy equipment that James needs for GPS to track how far players are running. Um, also some type of display board so that when he's coaching the players, he can play back, stop and and show show a player where they're in the wrong position and where they should have been. Mm. Uh, John, what, what, what are your thoughts? That type of equipment now in professional football, how... How prevalent is it? Oh, massive, David. In every professional club, that equipment exists. I've used ProZone, which is um, football analytics software. It goes beyond the regular goals, assists, fouls, corner kicks, minutes played, passes completed. It's used by over 300 clubs. Um, It's the all-round technical analysis of what's happened within that game. You've then got the opposite side of that. You've got um, GPS. So uh, Statsport, for example, that Arsenal, Liverpool, Everton use. So that's the little black um, GPS okay. uh, device that sits in the vest that you see a footballer when he's changing his shirt. The back of that. Now that takes his heart rate, the distance covered, um, it, everything from um, in-depth distance on how how he might be running uh, heavier on one leg than the other is he striking the ball uh, right with the with the right part of his foot absolutely comprehensive detail stress loads on the body yeah the data is unimaginable really and everything that that player does that device captures and translates to pc so a sports uh, sports psychology not sports psychology sports is that done live john is that during the game, is that literally yeah, that, live data? It's all tracked in that data during the game, and then you download it into the active software, and then that can that those analytics are all provided on that player, everything he's done in that game, right down to obviously it's also a, a great asset in preventing injury because you're saying you're yeah. running, you know, you're striking the ball with the wrong part of your foot, or you're putting too much stress load on your right foot, or you're using your right foot more than your left foot. And, and it picks up all those anomalies in what you might be doing with your uh, f- the physical side of your body for then the person that's analysing that to 
to take back with the with the player and discuss with the player. So it's very, very prevalent. Every premiership club uses stats for. So final question. So if a player's um, knackered, let's say, they're tired, does the GPS pick up that and show fatigue so a manager can say, look, let's get that player off, you know, he's gassed? Yeah, it, would, it wouldn't be in-game, David. It would say at the end that he would, um, that they, they'd sort of, you could do it in training as well. Yeah. You could see that there would be a significant um, downturn in the player's performance after 70 minutes, yeah. 75 minutes. Now, if that continued... Um, in three or four games, and he was absolutely outstanding to 75 minutes. They both want to look at that, why he's running out of steam at 75 minutes. Right, I'm with you. Deal with that medically. So that's the sort of, the data it gives you is quite extraordinary. Sam Allardyce is a is a huge supporter of um, this side of the game. Okay. And, and Chris, so, so just from a kind of um, the viewpoint of, is it the right, was it the right thing for the club to do? to actually go out there and ask the fans to put money in to buy this equipment alongside the fact they're bringing players in. What I mean, I'll say now straight away, I'm, I was happy to support it because I can see the yeah. value of it. What do you, what do you think? Cause some fans were divided on this. They were, the club shouldn't be asking um, the fans for things like this. And yet some fans, uh, because we're in the period of pos- positivity, the, a lot of these negative fans were being shot down by ones that are really happy with the way things are going. You know, so we had a, a couple of high-profile people, former commentators were, were you know, against it, vocally against it, um, and they were being kind of respectfully shot down by the ones that were saying, come on, let's just be positive. If it helps the club, you know, I'm up for it. What are your thoughts on it? My thoughts on that are, I, I did think about this actually before you come up with a question, thinking, is it the right thing to do? But if you need equipment, a lower level, and you've got a board who's coming on it and they're putting so much money into doing what they need to do, bringing players in, which all the fans want, we've got a choice, haven't we? We have a choice in life, whether support charities, you don't support, whatever's close to your heart. A lot of people live for that football club. And if, if chucking 10 or £20 each in for so many thousand fans gets them 15 grand, and, that, and then fans are happy that they've contributed towards their football, I bought part of that, you know, part of that equipment that helps us. I think it's a choice, so I don't think it's fair to shoot down people who's, who's contribute. I don't think there's hope wrong with asking, because if you're allowed to say yes or no, somebody's only asking. So I don't think it's wrong, because people always try and raise money in the community for the local football clubs when they're struggling. We've seen it. We don't get enough help from higher up, which is another yeah. subject we'll touch on another time. So I don't think it's right or wrong. I think it's absolutely amazing that the fans can look at themselves and go, I, I hope to get this equipment in that's going to help us for the future, which it is. And all what John said, it's amazing equipment. I think everybody needs it. Rose obviously touched on this again, something that other managers didn't touch on. He straight away identified, like John says, how, how purposeful this equipment is. I mean, so you can say if a player's running too much, why he's getting tired late on, like John says, it's amazing equipment to have. Good, so David. I think fans to, fans to be able to contribute and do it. I think, I think it's a good thing because they don't have to. So it's yeah. your choice. And, and us three here to chuck 25 quid in each and so many thousand fans do it. I think it's brilliant, fantastic. You were saying something, John? David, just to confirm, with this equipment, like um, Statsport, for example, you can download the data as the player is physically playing or training. Oh, Obviously, wow. the, ma- the manager wouldn't be the person doing that. Well, somebody else would be. Yeah, but you could come across at half-time and say, David, you've been, you know, you're struggling in this area. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or we're struggling in that part of the pitch or whatever. So it is live 
match data or training data to be so, used. So I imagine at premiership level where they've got a lot of resource, a lot of analysts that can watch this stuff, yes. be, if anything sinister were happening, like a player running at something like 30% of their normal capacity, they'd be saying to the manager, look, you know, you need to be aware of this and, and that, that would influence substitutions and tactical changes. Yes, you've you've all the, I mean, even probably first division championship clubs, they've all got a, um, a, a, a sort of a stato man and you'll see him sat there like Liverpool or Everton, for example, with an iPad and that's what they're using. They're using some form of software to analyse players' performance and it's live data. So it's pretty amazing, question, pretty amazing. Right. You know when Mwamba collapsed? You know the Bolton player collapsed with his art problem? Yes. Yeah, Mwamba for reason. That junk, obviously you know more about the equipment than us. If they'd have done, I don't, I'm not saying they didn't do it then, but I don't think it was advanced. If they'd have had that then, you know, is, do you think they'd have picked up on, because he was a fit player anyway, so nobody knew because he could run forever. Well, obviously he had this art defect. If, would that have picked it up? Oh, it's just impossible to say, Chris, because... Just you, only pick, you'd yeah. only pick it up if he'd have got um, excessive heart rate, or yeah. or his heart rate was dropping considerably. Yeah, no, no, no. But, uh, you know, whilst he was playing, and who knows? I mean, I, I think I, from from a medical point of view, I think that you know you can be extremely fit yeah, uh, sure. and have a heart attack. Yeah, you don't see it coming, do you? Well, my brother suffered it a few years ago. That's why I actually yeah, you, you don't see it coming, and and I mean he was quite unique, um, yeah. Yeah. but. They're not sufficiently medically qualified to be able to even remotely answer that because who knows? Yeah. I yeah. suppose if they saw something, it'd pick it up, you know, something. Pick it, if they saw something and it was really, yeah. you know, why, why, why is he running? Why is his heart rate 130 percent of what it should yeah. be? Yeah. But maybe, maybe his heart didn't race to 130. Maybe just no, no, no. And he had the heart attack. So who knows? But um, the the later software, the last two years, has reduced player injuries. By about twenty yeah. percent. I mean, is there an art defect? So you're thinking. I'm just wondering because they're getting so advanced. You just think because is there an art defect, and it could have killed him. Obviously, you're just wondering whether now it would pick some up like that. Pick it up. Well, there's been a number of players, haven't they, over the years yeah. that have died on the pitch. I mean, I remember David, a guy called David Longhurst that played for York. Yeah. It was, you know, I think he. he there's been a few players that have collapsed on the field, usually heart related. Yeah. Um, Obviously, some of this has been at lower league league level, but we'll uh, we'll we'll do a bit more research into that and and just touch on it on the next, but not dominate the podcast. But we'll we'll touch on it. But it's just interesting. My thoughts, Chris, just to concur with you, really, is the fans were given a choice, and you didn't. If you could afford to donate and you wanted to, then you could. Uh, you weren't regarded as letting the team down if you did if you couldn't afford to. And at this difficult time with COVID, not everybody can afford to. But I think it was heartwarming to see the club coming together. You know, at a time seeing a glint of light in in Rao and what he's doing, and wanting to actually push that on, and so let's just see. I think they'll have to be careful about continuing to do that sort of thing, particularly if the results take a downturn. It would have been interesting to see whether we'd have got that fifteen grand under Pemberton with the team losing. Yeah, I don't think it would have to be fair. <laughs> I'm going to close like... then, guys, because we're up we're up to about an hour and a half, which is what what we like to keep it as a maximum. Just with your your sort of final thoughts and, and message to the fans at this festive time of year, you know we're only what fifteen days out outside of this dreadful twenty twenty that the world's had to endure with COVID nineteen. Any any thoughts from you, John, uh, for the fans? Christmas greetings. Yes, I, I miss I miss going to the football. It's 
been a big part of my life since I was nine years old. So um, I think the fans are, without any shadow of a doubt, the best in the country. They've had to put up with consecutive disappointments and upset and inconsistency and everything surrounding that over the past few years. So I'd like to wish all the fellow Spyrites a very happy Christmas. And let's hope everybody has a much, much better 2021 than 2020. Thank you, John. Chris? Yeah, just like to say it's a special little town, Chesterfield, and I think, like John says, fans, Chesterfield fans have always been very special, I think. We've always stuck by the team from thick and thin, especially going out at league. So I'd like to wish them all a Merry Christmas. Can't wait to get back in the stadium. They deserve it. I'm glad they've seen some positive results. So let's have a Merry Christmas to all Blues, and hopefully we're back in the stadium and we have a better new year. Onwards and upwards. Come on, you Blues. At last night, guys, um, I was... I stumbled across the video showing the Johnston Paint Trophy win under Sheridan where Craig Westgar got that, that broke up breakaway goal to finish it 2-0 against Swindon uh, with 20,000 Chesterfield fans in Wembley. I was there. My little girl, Eleanor, was a baby in arms and made their, their hairs on the back of my neck stand up. And I just think for the first time in five years, after five years of... Let's face it, it's been absolute misery, hasn't it? From the yes. point that Cook left, we haven't had much. We haven't had more than five or six game patches where we've kind of looked like we're doing okay. It's just been looking at the trap door all the time, hasn't it? It's been looking at, you know, can we survive? Can we stay in this yeah, league, the National League? Never mind, get back. And so yeah. for me, James has given us that hope and that belief again. It is early, it's only four games, but I'd just like to say to all the Chesterfield fans that continue and have continued to stick by this club through thick and thin, through mainly bad for the last five years, that uh, looks like better times are ahead. Let's hope the vaccine starts to have an impact as well and we can all get back to having a beer at the football match and having a laugh. I'd like to wish everybody a wonderful Christmas, most importantly, a healthy 2021. I'd like to thank you, Chris, Alan Wilkinson and John, for taking part in, in these two podcasts. There'll be more from us pretty much once every month throughout 2021 with I'm sure lots of other talking points I'd like to thank you for your time guys and bid you, you both a happy Christmas and you thank David you. and you Chris and you John take care thanks guys thanks David <laughs>